You're listening to ACDC, Beyond the Thunder. The podcast with the biggest balls of all. With your host, Kurt Squire. It's time to rock. Greetings, podcasters. I'm your host, Kurt Squires, and this is ACDC Beyond the Thunder, a show where we talk about, you guessed it, ACDC. Today, our guest is Saul Hudson, better known by his stage name as Slash, lead guitarist of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame band Guns N' Roses, and one of the greatest guitar players in rock history. Over the years, Slash has formed other notable side bands such as Snake Pit, Velvet Revolver, and some pretty excellent solo work with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. This interview took place in 2014 exclusively for the Beyond the Thunder documentary, just months before Rocker Bust was released. And this was before anyone, including Slash himself, expected his own bandmate Axl Rose to front ACDC halfway through that tour. Now let's take you backstage with Slash prior to his headlining show in New Hampshire. Slash, thanks so much for carving out a bit of your busy schedule to talk about the thunder from down under. What is it about ACDC that makes them so relevant after all these years? You know, ACDC has become seriously an institution. They're, they're the, the only band that's stayed around for as long as, as they have doing the thing that they do and doing it better than anybody else. And they've become sort of the mainstay of hard driving, sort of simple but straight ahead rock and roll, sort of blues and RB oriented. You know, I mean, there's, there's nobody else that really does it from the heart. Our paths have crossed a couple of times uh, one of those was in London at the Classic Rock Awards show where you were on stage presenting to Joe Perry of Aerosmith, a band that you adore and treasure just as much as ACDC. You were talking about your Aerosmith moment. Do you have an ACDC moment? My big ACDC moment, I have to say, happened when uh, Back in Black came out. That was like, cause I'd, I'd only heard Highway to Hell before that. And that was always with the kids that were older than me because at that time I was pretty young. But when, when uh, Back in Black came out, I think I was probably, oh, I don't know, 15. I'd already started playing guitar. And, uh, and it just, you know, it was just this thing. There was a certain power that that record had. And I was actually at my friend's house when I first heard it, and um, that was the guy, his dad is the one that named me Slash. Huh. So that was at that period. So yeah, there's a little bit of, the, the first Slash days started around that time that Back in Black came out. That's pretty wild. So the time that you acquired the name Slash was also your ACDC moment, pretty cool. Uh, the other time we crossed paths that I wanted to mention was during the Stiff Upper Lip Tour, I was out in the audience and I looked to my right and none other than Slash is standing right beside me watching ACDC perform. And I turned to you, shook your hand and said, hey Slash, and you said, greatest rock and roll band in the world right there. And you pointed to the stage and I thought that was so cool. Well, man, you, you know, I'm a rock fan first and foremost, you know, and 
Um, God knows there's so many rock bands, but there's nobody, you know, there's only a few bands that really bring it. You know, ACDC being one of a kind rock and roll band have always been, as far as I was concerned, one of the most paramount rock and roll bands ever, you know. Tell us about Slash's Snake Pit supporting ACDC on that stiff upper lip tour. I put the Snake Pit record out and we had a tour lined up and whatnot. And uh, the offer came in to play with ACDC and I, I had financial issues to be able to, to do that particular tour, you know, whatever. And I've been over backwards to make it happen, you know, because it's just, to me, the, the ultimate rock show is when you put a package together where you have two bands that sort of gel well together right. and sort of represent the same kind of vibe. Yeah. And so I was I was really stoked to be on that tour. Yeah, that's that's great. And then there was a point there, I actually got really sick on that tour and had to bow out of the last quarter of that's it. That's right, I think it was. that's right, I forgot about uh, like that. 2001. I was hoping to see you take the stage and trade solos with Angus on that tour, but as we know, that's not something ACDC typically embraces so although i have seen a photo of you and brian johnson sharing the stage what was that occasion yeah yeah i, I jammed with brian a bunch of times i don't know which picture you saw but i mean he played with velvet revolver once but we've jammed a couple times do you still keep in touch with brian i, I talked to brian a lot but i haven't talked to him in the last year you'd think in this age of information overload that we'd have some inkling as to what is going on with that band, but you'd, you'd figure Brian might give you a hint, maybe. I figured he would, but I just, I, I didn't want to bug, so. I've never seen a band so successfully pull off being as tight-lipped and as private as they've been throughout their entire career, maybe aside from ZZ Top. But part of me loves the mystery the other part feels like this long distance relationship of seeing someone you care about every like five to 10 years. Uh, like for instance, when you were on the road together, did you ever see them backstage or were they like ghosts passing in the night? Yeah, I, I mean, I saw them. And, I mean, I think they just, they sort of like, you know, uh, protect themselves from like outside bullshit, which is wise, but internally they're great, you know? Yeah. Uh, they don't seem like that when you're actually on tour with them. You know? Quiet, though, for the yeah. most part. That's cool. So what kind of camaraderie did you share with each other while you were on the road? They're, I mean, they're pretty business-like, right? They, were there arguments, any pranks, late-night dinners, advice? Did you exchange gifts? I actually gave, I gave uh, Angus a snakeskin SG for his birthday on that tour. You're kidding me. I didn't know Gibson even made one of those. I had it made. Wow, you gave him a custom one? That was really nice of you. Well, you know, it's, it, it just shows how, I mean, it's just one of those things, a token of whatever, respect and... Speaking of the guitar, your weapon of choice, um, how does Angus Young influence your own playing, which is essentially a heavy version of the blues? A lot of stuff that I do calls from the same place where Angus comes from you know and and so and then there's a lot of things that I do that I get you know sort of attack stuff that that I I can sort of attribute to to Angus you know so yeah there's a lot of different things because we're basically playing the same kind of stuff so it's it's like an attitude that that sort of uh, crosses over between the two of us right so which artists do ACDC unmistakably lift from that you can hear embedded within their own music in AC oh well there's a lot of like Chuck Berry yeah um, just old school you know a lot of a lot of what I would consider like Elvis Presley like 50s Buddy Holly that kind of rock and roll 
um, chord changes and stuff like that. Um, but then they just turned it into something of their own, right? For sure. Um, you know, from the very first ACDC record, there was definitely a direction that was uniquely theirs. But the, the influences are obvious. But then there's their own stamp that they put on it that's uh, totally identifiable and undeniable. Right. And they've just been building on that. And you can tell that they're very fixed on a certain thing because it's everything they do is some variation of the same thing. Yeah. And that's why the name of their band is so great, because those are the three chords that basically, you know. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, there's only a couple other chords that aren't in their name that they use. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's funny. <laughs> They've come up with every conceivable, even Keith Richards like him, likes them, and he hates just about everybody. <laughs> Um, I mean, because they just, they're, they're purists, and they, they have come up with every conceivable combination of those chords. It's such a great endorsement to have Keith Richards on your side, isn't it? Name dropping ACDC is one of his favorite bands. I remember reading a Rolling Stone article in the late 80s by Anthony DeCurtis. And this is a magazine, by the way, that never gave ACDC the light of day. And he was asking Keith Richards what he thought about the hottest artists out there at the time. And we're talking about Bruce Springsteen. Keith called him pretentious. And then he mentioned Prince. And Keith said he liked Pee Wee Herman better. <laughs> and then George Michael. And he said that George Michael was a wimp in disguise and to shave and go home or something like that. So he was being pretty brutal. And then Keith basically said, that he didn't like much, but he liked ACDC. I nearly framed that article, so I'm glad you brought that up. And, and so why do people like Keith and fans around the globe share this common bond with this band? Because, uh, you know, rock and roll is very, um, it's people's music, you know? It has a certain attitude, uh, you know, I mean, we get into what rock and roll is all about, and that's a whole conversation unto itself. But there's something genuine in what ACDC does. It, the thing about rock and roll is everybody loves it, just not everybody can do it. <laughs> they think they can, but, it, you know, there, there's uh, something very, uh, there's a human connection in rock and roll. A lot of people, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, or, you know, whatever, if you're not coming from a pure place, people pick up on it and it doesn't turn them on. ACDC's always been super genuine in their musical direction and approach and they, and people relate to it. And so it's worked, yeah, globally, you know, everybody loves it, you know? And I think rock and roll, everybody loves. It's just been diluted so much with outside interests or other agendas that it's not really, they say it's rock and roll, but it's not, you know? That's a great answer. It's true, people do pick up on the authenticity of an artist, and if there's one thing about ACDC, it's that they are genuine. And part of their authenticity is the fact that they don't often appear on the late night shows or the award shows, and yet, in some way, they've built a mystique in becoming even more popular in doing so. I'm not sure how. I mean, Zeppelin was like that, too. Um, you know, you just have to make good music. You know, people don't need to see you on TV necessarily. I remember back in the day, I saw ACDC on Don Kirshner's rock concert. So they were around back then, but when, as soon as they got big, you know, it wasn't really necessary to do all that. And I don't even know if they ever got a Grammy. They actually did finally receive a Grammy for War Machine off Black Eyes, which is something that feels like the voting members said to themselves, okay, how can we not give these guys a Grammy after all these years? So. 
let's just pick this track. You know, it's not exactly something ACDC will ever play live again, but uh, they did win one. I mean, all things considered, you know, the Grammys is the kind of thing where they don't even know when it comes to rock and roll and like those categories of stuff other than popular sort of top 40 stuff, they don't know which way is up anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure the Grammys even know how to categorize musical genres anymore or keep up with the sea of music out there, let alone a major band like ACDC. Well, I just, you know, it's, it's sad that when it comes to certain kinds of music, they have absolutely no clue, you know, which right. is a drag. But anyway, no one really cares. We just do what we do and but I don't think ACDC is I think part of their charm is the fact that they've never catered to uh, the sort of TV and 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 you know sort of like the the trying to be popular with the media and with with uh, you know sort of like pop culture in the sense that they show up at radio things and TV uh, you know presentations and whatnot you know. Yeah, sort of just, I mean, they do one thing and they do it better than anybody else, and that's all they concentrate on. I totally agree. It's actually taken so long for the media to catch up with ACDC, including Rolling Stone magazine, which took nearly 35 years to put them on the cover, and only once. Yeah, I could, I could say, and that, you know, and that in itself, especially when you have, you do the size of venues and, and the, the amount of people that go to see ACDC and for as long as they've been doing it at that level for them not to be recognized I think it's, it's got to sort of piss them off a little bit you know <laughs> it, it either pisses them off or it's all part of their master plan of lying low and not buying into the whole rock star thing that fuels most musicians so that just gives you more fuel that's the thing, great thing about rock and roll is it it's it's um it's a medium where, or yeah, on a medium, I, I say genre, but it's, it's really sort of, it's a thing where it's anti all that anyway. And it's, it's not supposed to be about, you know, everybody having to like you. You just do what you do and you have your own personal self-expression and people can take it or leave it, you know? So the more people who choose to ignore how great and massive ACDC is, the more they could just give them the finger. You know? I love that. <laughs> you come from a pretty creative background. Your mother was a costume designer whose clients included David Bowie, Ringo Starr, and Janis Joplin. And your father was an artist who designed album covers for such musicians as Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, right? Yeah. And then some of that artistic DNA rubbed off on you as well. Didn't you illustrate something for an Aerosmith album cover? I did. I, I know. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. I didn't actually do it for them. I did it way back when I was in junior high school. Oh, wow. Because it was a... It, it was this drawing that I did, and I gave it to my friend Mark Canner, who was a huge diehard at that time, like diehard, like sneak into hotels, <laughs> get, go to every show and sneak in cameras, diehard fan. Wow. And uh, he printed up some copies and gave them to different people, and it just went through this big circle. I, I met Izzy through that drawing. He came to my work and asked me if I had a copy of it. And so I guess at some point the Aerosmith guys saw it, and so Stephen called me up. Wow. Later and say, hey, did you have one of that drawing that you did of the band? So I had to call Mark and get a copy of it. Wow. So you connected with Izzy Stradlin and Stephen Adler, your childhood friend, who you formed your first band with, and also Guns N' Roses connecting your drawing from junior high. Talk about a full circle. So that's a full, full circle. So your father's this 
fairly well-known album cover designer. Did you ever bring home any ACDC albums to get his opinion on the band's image? Well, let's see. I mean, I didn't see ACDC album covers until I was sort of moved out. I was definitely raised on album covers. So being around album cover designs all the time, did you have a favorite ACDC cover, given your trained eye? I have to say the, the Highway to Hell album cover was my favorite ACDC album cover because it was just so subtle, you know, just a band photo, but with the tail yeah, <laughs> in the horns. You know, I mean, that, that was a great fucking, uh, a great cover. It's a classic cover for sure. It definitely got my attention at 10 years old. And my favorite ACDC song of all time is off of that album, Night Prowler. And I meant to ask you, you were born in London and then moved to California at the age of five. So you were living in LA during the time of the Night Stalker and the Richard Ramirez killings, right? Oh yeah. What was it like living so close to those horrible murders and having the media and even the police associating these events with a band that we idolize so much? You know, I, I used to play Night Prowler and Snake Pit. Oh wow. And, and you know, that song is, is one of the, the greatest sort of rock and roll blues, you know, takes on a blues kind of vibe for a rock and roll band ever, you know? And uh, I agree. Straight ahead, slow blues, you know. And the fact that the Ramirez was quoting their song, it, there was a period of a lot of that going on around that time. ACDC wasn't the only one. I'm sure it was hard for them. I mean, I, I sort of was like, well, you know, I mean, I guess he's got to listen to something, you know. Yeah. You, you can't take that stuff too seriously. I mean, music's out there for everybody. If you stopped and thought about what different kinds of people might be listening to music, be it good or bad, in detail, right. and thought about the possibilities, you'd, it would be overwhelming. Right. You, know, you just put sense. it out there and people listen to it and they come to your shows and you get sort of an idea when you meet people, some of the people that are out there buying your record, but God knows it's not all of them. You know? Right. Right. Not to harp too much on the Ramirez thing, because I, I know that was not one of their favorite points in history. But so you're out on the road with the boys and you, you you've seen a fair share of merch out there. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere now. Believe me, I own too much of ACDC merch. What's your favorite ACDC item that you've seen over the years? Dude, the coolest fucking rock and roll piece of merchandise I ever saw was, I think it was the last ACDC tour with the little fucking hats with the horns that the light up. That <laughs> yeah. was killer. The whole the arena, I, well, I saw them at the, at the Staples. The whole fucking place had these hats on and they're all flashing and it, it was fucking great. Yeah. And what do you think of all their marketing? It's pretty much a self-running, money-making machine at this point. Um, you know, I mean, it works. I think, I think it's, I think, I mean, you know, I'm a t-shirt guy and I'm, I'm one of those guys who likes stuff on the back of their leather jacket or whatever. So um, as long as it looks cool, you know, I think it's great. You have people out there, it's sort of like a stamp, you know, it's, it's cool. I mean, there's some merchandise that's obviously really silly, but I've always been cool with t-shirts and fucking baseball hats and... Right. There's ACDC Monopoly, ACDC Wine, and as an avid pinball player like yourself, you must love their ACDC pinball machine. I've played it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and is there ever a cutoff point for a band like ACDC? I mean, obviously a poor question if we're talking about KISS, but what about ACDC? Yeah, as long as, I mean, it, it, as long as it doesn't go into an area, I mean, it does, my opinion doesn't really matter anyway, but I mean, you know, there's some stuff when you can tell you're just really, really trying to capitalize on something, 
that's not even within the scope of what they're about. A lot of people do that. But ACDC always manages to keep it within the realm of ACDC cool. Okay, it looks like we're getting the signal that it's time to sign off before your curtain call. Slash, thanks so much for being a part of ACDC Beyond the Thunder. It was great to finally connect and talk about one of the greatest bands of all time from one of the greatest guitarists of all time. And real quickly, Slash, if you had one word to describe ACDC in a nutshell, one word that sums up the power that this band has had on people and this planet, what would yours be? Fucking brilliant. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Photography, Louis Torrieri. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Brand ambassador and marketing guru, Gino Bona. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Gino Bona, Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu, nanu.